Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm right, thanks. How are you? Very, very good indeed. Why are you so tripper? I've just had a delicious coffee and I'm doing my favourite podcast in the world. Your only podcast. Do you know what? You know... <laughs> Let me just say something nice. Let... No, 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 it's still my vibe. I'm in a very, very good place. I'm very happy. Um, yeah, just generally good. Because it's, it's more cosy in here now. It is. It looks really nice. We're working um, on it. Yeah, that's good. Ryan's done a, a sterling job for those who can't see what I can see, which is everyone but me. We're building a new studio, but then all the foam fell down. Yeah, and now it's, <laughs> it's back up again. It looks great. Yeah, yeah. So what's new? What, what's going on with you? What's going on with me? Yeah, yeah. Not much. Same old. Same old, same old. Same old, same old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bundesliga's still not back. No. Had a lot of drink recently. Uh, you have been hitting it hard, man. Well, no, no, it was social. It was social. Um, well, what is it not? <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was a friend's 40th this weekend, which was lovely. I haven't seen him in a while. Very successful musician. It's very hard to get when he's in town. So we hang out for a few drinks. It's very nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, good times. Good times. Right, Premier League. Yes, Premier League. We, we, we don't really start with the Premier League that often. We should this time, I think. Well, there's loads of it. There is. And it was pivotal, I think. Well, pivotal insofar as <laughs> Liverpool basically sort of sailing towards this victory. I think this is the, after their 1-0 win over Spurs, this is the record start. Ever. Unbelievable. But they, did, they, but they have been that good. That's I mean, are we talking about this though? We're not, we're not. I think that what is interesting is the Southampton result beating Leicester. Yeah. In Leicester. I mean, Yeah, amazing. I mean, the two, I think the two best results from the weekend for me were the Southampton game and the Watford game. Yes. And actually maybe capping their runs of form as well. Yeah, two teams that we haven't spoke a huge amount about this season. Southampton went through some really, really poor patches of form few noises about whether Hasenhuttle was the guy to take him forward. And we mentioned last week that he's turned it around really well there. And, um, you know, Danny Ings is scoring crazy amounts of goals. 10 in 10. Yeah. 10 in 10 starts, I think, this season wow. for Southampton. But in terms of the form table, last six games, um, Liverpool top, obviously, then City, and then it's Watford, then it's Southampton, which I think goes to show just how good these teams are in terms of form turning it around. Recruitment, coaching. Yeah, they just look, I mean, I wouldn't say unrecognisable. I think in Watford's case, it's unrecognisable. I think in Southampton's case, there have been little elements of it this season. But yeah, just two brilliant results. I mean, for Southampton, it was it was so important that they put to bed that 9-0 nine, nine thing from right, the beginning absolutely. of the season. But actually, if you look at the Villa game against City, that kind of reminded me a little bit of that 9-0 actually. You know, and by the time the third one goes in, it doesn't really matter whether it's four or whether it's 12, That's because true. it's no real basis. Do you know, does that make sense? Yes, and I think you're in danger. I think when, whenever a team has a huge loss, I've said this many times, they're in danger of drawing the wrong conclusions. Mm. And when you get, um, look at when Brazil got done 7-1 in that semi-final, you can trace that back to a couple of structural issues with that team. Um, you can trace again the 6-1 loss to the introduction of drink water. And it's not, it's because he was unfamiliar surroundings and didn't know the combinations well, the where li- were running. Yeah, the lineup had him playing at centre-back when it was announced, which he wasn't, I don't think, but he... That affects all kinds of confidence. And so when you have an element like that, which doesn't, those circumstances are so, they, they won't occur again. You won't get a rampant city against such an unfamiliar lineup. Again, and so if, if Villa look at that result and go, oh my goodness, this is definitive. It's not definitive. It's just, mm. it's just City on a bad day and that's what City do to you. And look how much it broke Watford. You can almost say that Watford took the wrong lessons from that cup final 
defeat. And I know that it's easy for me to say that, but we forget sometimes that these professionals are very proud people and anyone that loses six in the like you've dreamed of playing in an FA Cup final, like your mm. entire life. Some of, I mean, some of these players, because of the kinds of clubs they've played for, the FA Cup final is the biggest game they'll ever play in. And mm. City do that to you. And I think it really broke them. Yeah. It made them look a worse team than they were. Yeah, I agree. Does that make Actually, sense? Yeah, Pereira, Delefeu, like these are, these are outstanding players. Troy, your boy Troy. Yeah. Um, but they made some good signings in the summer as well that I think are starting to come good. Yeah. You know, they're unbeaten in five in the league, I yeah. think, or more, maybe even six. Oh, can I say as well, a bit of sympathy for Bournemouth. Um, uh, I was going to say, well, well, basically Watford leapfrogged Villa out of the relegation zone mm. and, and Bournemouth. Yeah. So those two sides of, are in the bottom three. The, the sympathy, just, just, to sort of, um, just to sort of make clear, the sympathy is specifically for the goalkeeper, uh, Mark Trevors, because when you play out from the back, Oh, yeah, he's a the young first, keeper. But yeah. the, the problem is, the problem is, this is the sad thing. Like you play it from the back and you do it how many times a game? And it's necessary to build the attack. And the one time it messes up, it'll be in highlight reels forever and it'll look like a parody, you know, because playing out from mm. the back can but it's actually the best way to progress the ball. So it's about having the courage to keep going, having made a mistake like that. So I had a bit of sympathy there to see that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But Bournemouth are in big, big, big trouble now. Yeah. Um, you know, with West Ham. Yeah, West Ham had a weird VAR thing on Friday against Sheffield United, but still they've been picking up some points under David Moyes. You know, Watford, as we've mentioned, are in a really good run of form. Southampton are up to 12th now. They are um, they're level on points with Arsenal and Everton, and which isn't saying much, but still, but still, compared to where they were. You know, Norwich... Are down basically. I think I can't see them coming back. No. You know they lost four 0 to Manchester United, who were good. But I think that Norwich basically are gonna they're gonna pick up some points, but they're also gonna be on the end of some hidings for the rest of the season because they're not gonna. There's no point really changing the way that they play now to try and grind out draws because yeah. they're going down. I think Daniel Farker knows that. Yeah, I think they're all right with that actually. Yeah, they um, played good football. Can I say actually? Let me throw something in as well about um, Bournemouth in relation to Brighton as well. No one's talking about Chris Hutton now. Yeah, and here's the thing about. This thing, the whole thing about sometimes it's just a season too far for both club and manager. Maybe there's something in that because no one at Brighton's complaining. You look at them now, you know, losing narrowly, winning narrowly, they're pretty, they're pretty good. They're like, and arguably they were due a plummet and maybe this is something, maybe, maybe the administration at Brighton were like, you know what, we just see a kind of a warning sign. It's the end of a natural cycle. And Eddie Howe, maybe he was at the end of a natural cycle and his market value was much higher this summer, much higher. Yeah. Does that make sense? And, and like, we love Eddie Howe. It's just that it's the Pochino thing. Or, well, it's like Nigel Atkins at Southampton. Right. Didn't do anything that deserved to get fired. No. But was the right thing. But I think Eddie Howe, I think if he didn't have the relationship that like he has with the club, I think he would have been gone long ago because they're in big, big trouble. And if they go down, I think there are bigger teams in the championship now that are more equipped to come up. Exactly. And I think it will be really, really difficult for them to come back up. Because they're going to have to lose a lot of players. They've got a quite a high wage bill, I think. They've spent quite a lot of, of money on players as well for a small club. I mean, that's really, really worrying. I saw this um, a tweet, it may have been Grace on Football, who was commenting that, you know, once they go, if they go down, the cherry picking will happen. Oh, nice pun. Oh my God, that wasn't even, that wasn't even a deliberate. A lovely pun. That wasn't, oh my goodness, my, my first good pun on this podcast. It wasn't even deliberate. <laughs> oh no. Um, on Brighton though, they, should, they lost 1-0 to Everton, but... Grabby Lewis Dunk 
could have uh, could have made that a bit. <laughs> Honest Theo Walcott should have gone down. He got grabbed by Lewis Duncan, and then he tried yeah. to carry on. It was a definite penalty. I mean, Walcott's haircut leaves me indifferent to his fate. I'll I, let him live, man. Saw, when you look at it, you go, oh my God, that's a penalty. You're like, yeah, not sure about that haircut. Same with Kate Baldi at like uh, Monaco. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gone for this kind of like greased back Malcolm X era just zoot suit. Stop it with the hair hate. S- sorry. I'm just- uh, fun fact about Theo Walcott, he's now older than you are. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> carry on, carry on. Uh, Arsenal drew with Crystal Palace. What did you think about Aubameyang's red? I think fair enough. Yeah, I do. He looked absolutely devastated. Not that it was malicious, of course, but it just the, the speed to catch, and he just caught him late. I think he knew. I think he, it wasn't the worst tackle. I've seen a lot of worst tackles this season get yellows, but because of the the ankle roll, I think, was the thing that caused it. Because on the yes. slow-mo, that looks way worse than it was, because he was doing it almost from a standing start. It's what they call the striker's tackle when you're not used to making tackles with high technique. And yeah. so, yeah, I think just it's one of Just slightly mistimed. And, and, and I think the roll of, of Meyer's ankle makes it look yeah. worse than it was. But I actually he, think it was good to pick it up by the ref, to be honest. It was a good spot. Yeah, I mean, I always think the reaction of the benches in those situations gives you a little bit of a clue, though, because the Palace bench didn't go... Yeah, but the funny thing about the reaction know. from the bench, I mean, I was watching my team play amateur football this weekend, and a friend of mine was wiped out late near the touchline. Half of us went nuts, including him. Like, he went for the player. Mm. And I was up in arms and half our bench were like, oh, Musa, calm down. Like you're being OTT. And I'm like, no, he went in high and late. Like it yeah. was really, the funny thing was we were both strikers. So we know, and the people that were going calm down, they were defenders. Mm. So it was really interesting sort of demographic split. So the ones that were like going nuts on the bench, including me, were like the ones who have experienced this kind of late, not intentional, but dirty. Been on the end of them. Which people think is fair game, but it's actually like, it's brutal. So I think, yeah, it was a fair decision. I'm sorry for Al because he started with a beautiful goal and then, mm. you know. We had a quick question about, I meant to mention it when we were talking about Watford, but from yeah. Daniel Tatarski. Oh, Daniel, how's it going? Nigel Pearson, best English manager of the decade so far. Uh, I mean, actually. I mean, statistically. Yeah, yes, actually. In the Premier League. Yeah, fair enough. Why not? There you go. There you go, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> However, talking of Aubameyang's tackle, wasn't the best slash worst tackle of the weekend? Shout out to Feli Valverde. In the Super Copper. You know what I love about that? <laughs> what I love about that, you probably can't guess. Well, hang on. Let's quickly, for yeah, though, anyone background. who didn't see it, because it was quite hard to watch in Germany. I don't think it was even shown in Germany. It wasn't shown on free-to-air TV in Spain. I that think whole for the first so year. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we had a question on this. Maybe we'll get onto it after the break. Let's do a quick roundup first. Went to extra time, went to penalties. Real Madrid won on penalties. Was it just after half time in extra time? Yeah. Uh, Late. No, it was like five minutes from the end, wasn't it? Was it was really close to yeah. the end, yeah, yeah. Atleti break. Uh, who was it who was through? Maratta. Maratta. So it wasn't necessarily Bearing guaranteed. down on goal, yeah. one-on-one, Fede Valverde scythes him down yeah, and takes the red, walks off. Simeone gives him a little pat. The first thing I thought, is this what you're going to say? Simeone was just like... His reaction was, that, that's the, the only I'm impressed about was Simeone's reaction going, yeah, like, and I was like, I get it. it's the most Simeone tackle ever. And he even said in the press conference afterwards, he yeah. gave this big speech about, yeah, like. Anyone would have done that. It was like, you're playing for the wrong, you're in the wrong side of Madrid. Anyone have done that? Sorry, <laughs> I would have done that. <laughs> Basically, I would have gone absolutely berserk at my players if one of them hadn't done that. Well, because not everyone situation. would have done that. Marcelo wouldn't have done it. We know that because Marcelo had a chance to bring down Sergio Roberto in the Classico a couple of years ago. And didn't foul him. Mm-hmm. Roberto plays it to Gomez and, the, the, and then to Messi. The rest is history. 
and you see them screaming after Ronaldo turns around and screams down the pitch at Marcelo going, why didn't you just foul the dude? And Marcelo's like, you know, Marcelo's like, I'm an honest guy with high technique who counterattacks and like, I don't do that. <laughs> and it was like, so funny. You just saw the kind of, the different, I would say, philosophies yeah. to football in that period. Yeah. Elsewhere in Europe, I'm trying to think of some, I was Latan scored the second goal for, for AC Milan. Celebration, uh, celebration was just... Oh, uh, Roma Juve. Demerol, I think, became the first Turkish defender to score. Oh, really? I think, I think some crazy stat about... It's a good goal, that. Very good goal. But the scary thing is for De Ligt is that he's basically replaced him. Which, you know, you might say it's a bit of a speed bump rather than things significant because you know, De Ligt's young. It's a bit concerning because he hasn't started that well. I mean, he got the winner in the Turin derby, um, De Ligt, but apart from that, not many highlights this season. It came on for Demerol in the game, actually, because Demerol got injured after about 20 minutes. It was a strange choice of club Juventus for De Ligt, I have to say. And we've said that before, I think. Yeah, I still don't... I'm not really wild about that signing. No, me neither. Before we move on from that, Nicola Zaniolo ruptured his ACL, which is such a massive blow for Roma. He's Awful injury, too. He's their wonder boy. Beautiful player. Yeah, real, real, real shame. I looked at him and I was looking at the Inter-Atlanta game as a real banana skin for... I didn't see that game, actually. Well, what's interesting about that game is that Atlanta won two straight, 5-0, and they looked devastating. Mm. Ilicic has been in great form, Josip Ilicic. Ilicic is a kind of um, a player who's never really had a big team to play for. He's been at Palermo, which is the biggest club has been at before Atlanta, but just quietly brilliant. They've got some really nice players there, Paul Gomez as well. And Inter took the lead, and they looked brilliant from the beginning. Um, Lukaku was really like looking dangerous, uh, Atal Martinez. And then kind of slightly faded. Atlanta looked pretty pretty good. Um, and then Handanovic got a great late save. It was a penalty, a late mm. penalty in that Atlanta could have won the whole thing. I think Handanovic saves like some wild percentage of penalties, maybe as high as 50%, if I understand the German. I'm not oh, sure. really? Uh, I mean, it's almost Diego Alves' numbers. Beautiful save down to his right, and they get the one all draw. And it's one of those ones where Inter will be gutted not to be top because they were top on goal difference before the weekend. But I think they'll look back on that as a good point. Atalanta in this form, even though it was in a, you know, two points dropped at home, I think it's still a good result coming into the season. Elsewhere, PSG Monaco, the late game on Sunday in League uh, 3 all, Neymar hat trick. Own goal, second one's a no goal. Oh, yeah, it was an own goal. It was kind of like the deflection. I mean, yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. Well, it took was, two deflections, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Neymar couldn't believe it. Yes. Um, but Robert Moreno, great start at Monaco after replacing Leonardo Jardim, who got fired again. Yeah. They won the cup game against Rheim and yeah, going away to PSG in his first league game in charge to get a draw out of the bag. And Monaco really went at them as well. Yeah, although I can't figure out what the hell was going on for Slomani's goal at the end. There was so much VAR stuff in this game, it really started to melt my mind a little bit. It looked weird. I mean, that goal was almost like, there were like a couple of players quite far ahead of the ball, it seemed. Yeah, there were a few um, this weekend yeah. that I couldn't really understand what was going on. But I mean, more VAR drama. The funny thing about um, the previous, I think it was a PSG played uh, Saint-Étienne um, a few days ago. And there was a hilarious moment when Cavani was on the bench watching it, enjoying it, but also kind of thinking, how the hell am I going to get back in this team? Well, he's going to Atleti, isn't he? There's loads of talk about him going to Atleti, which is amazing. But PSG actually now, this is quite dangerous now. They've got the Icardi-Mbappe, which is a really nice combination. Di Maria's playing really well and Neymar out on the left. It's actually a unit that works. That's a hell of a front four. It's great because it gives the fluidity, it gives Neymar the freedom to kind of do his thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and Icardi, who's a more conventional striker, who I, I never, when he first arrived, I thought, oh, that's not going to work, but works better. He's a better piece for the team than Cavani was, um, or is. Um, yeah, I, in I terms, of, in I, terms I, of mobility. I think, in the, I think in this iteration of PSG, yeah. yeah I, I don't think anyone can 
can... Um, Not to denigrate what he did, don't yeah. get me wrong. It's, it's more like in the system. It's like Sturridge at Liverpool. Sturridge was yeah. probably the best pure nine. But in terms of what they want to do, Icardi is, is, is it right work is better for this system, I think, if that makes sense. Yeah, and for Tuchel yeah. as well, I think. Yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with uh, another bit of a roundup and then questions. Absolutely. All right, back from the break. Quick Women's Super League roundup. Yeah. It's as you were at the top. Actually, funny this. Chelsea beat Bristol City 6-1. And I know it's Bristol City. They've got a very bad goal difference. But I think we got a glimpse of what Chelsea are going to be. Yeah. Um, Jisoo Yon was just on a different level. And there was a really nice combination with Sam Kerr. Didn't end in the goal. But you saw the weight of passing and the movement from Kerr. And Chelsea's one, the one criticism you could level of Chelsea this season is perhaps firepower. That looks like, and I know it's only Bristol City, but it looks like they've addressed that issue. Yeah, Beth England's firing as well. And I think that three of England, Sam Kerr and G is looking and England very, get, very dangerous. England gets you important goals. She's a hell of a player. Oh my goodness. She gets you the, the, the kind of the, the game breaker. Yeah, the 1-0, 2-0, yeah. yeah. Uh, Man City beat Everton 3-1 on Saturday, which meant that they were level on points with Arsenal, who went away to Brighton and won four nil. No goals for Vivian Miedemar. She's a fraud. Yep. She's an absolute fraud. Joke. Yeah. What a fraud. Sell her. We've got the Stadio curse. She's got Player of the Year. <laughs> no, no. She got the best assist of the weekend. Yeah. Although I, I did enjoy Leah Williamson's. Yes, I, I liked it, but I just there's something about a dummy. Yeah. There's something about a dummy that just. I mean, we should almost even almost, when she doesn't get credited with the assist, she still kind of gets the assist. Thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Chelsea have still got that game in hand over the top two. That um, postponed game is nasty, though. In a league this tight, I wonder how much pressure it puts to keep playing catch-up because now they're... On Chelsea? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but they don't have any Champions League. Yeah, I suppose so. So... Spurs... Um, beat West Ham 2-1. Good result, that. They've actually had a couple of really good games. They had a good game, I think, in the uh, Continental Cup, wasn't it? Good yeah. matchup. Yeah. Arsenal's goal record is quite incredible. 12 games, 35 goals, 5 conceded. Chelsea's still unbeaten in the league though, so that's yeah. that's interesting. They've just, uh, Arsenal and Manchester City haven't drawn a single game this season. The In contrast to Arsenal men, who I think have more draws than anyone in the Premier League. Oh, on that actually, uh, Arsenal changed their website last week so that it no longer says first team, it says men's and women's. Yeah, I saw Tim Stillman tweet about yeah. it. I loved that. Yeah, really matters. Yeah, really matters. Yeah. This weekend, the Bundesliga comes back. Yes. Oh my goodness. I'm hopefully going to be at Bayern, no, Hertha against Bayern on Sunday. Wonderful. Uh, Klinsman against his old club. That should be interesting. Klinsy against Hansi. Yeah. Uh, Schalke Gladbach on Friday, though. That's, That's tasty. <laughs> yeah, Schalke are just about to announce Tadebo on loan from Barca till the end of the season. Strange things happening at Barca all around. But I like that move, though. I like it for Tadebo. I like it for him. Because Schalke are a team actually doing something quite interesting, whereas Barca are in a strange sense of atrophy. You talk about like more than a club, but the identity couldn't be more uncertain at this point. Yeah, we had a couple of questions on that, so we'll cover in a minute. But um, also Leipzig Union on Saturday night. That'll be a good game. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, thank God the Bundesliga is back. Right, let's go to questions, unless you've got anything else you want to... Questions are all good. 
All right, this one from Jem Atkinson. Thoughts on Chris Wilder's extension and the long-term Blades outlook? It's just great. Absolutely in. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Chris Wilder. 1-0 win at the weekend over West Ham. Just... I like the way that he handled the VAR question at the end as well. Oh, I didn't see that. So he said he felt for David Moyes and he felt for West Ham. And if the decision had gone against him, he would have been really, really angry about it. But he felt that Sheffield United deserved to win. So Nice diplomatic way to handle. And they just thought they belong. That's, isn't that remarkable? Their greatest achievement is that you look at Sheffield United and you're like, yep, Premier League side. Yeah, they're back and they don't really look like they're going to go anywhere. I just hope that some of those players don't get nabbed. But that's also, but now they're a proposition that's attractive. That's the thing. When you do that, you become, you put yourself on the radar and as long as you're sensible, your recruitment, people are now, there are agents who are now answering your WhatsApp messages that weren't before. It's round pegs and round holes though. And I think if you take a number of that side out, a number of those players out of that side and put them into other systems, it doesn't work. That's also the beauty. But the beauty is then you can go to other clubs and say, look, we have room for players with very particular roles there'll be some players other clubs are like you know what I was always criticised not enough of X or like we don't need to do that this system is going to say the same I think Salah talked about this um, she asked about the 3-5-2 and whether we saw it as an enduring system I think the answer is well absolutely now because 3-5-2 is such a specific system that there's a ton of players especially in lower level who, who can express themselves in it so I think it's um, I think it's the way forward I think it's exciting I'm really interested to see what the future holds for Chris Wilder I mean, if you think of his career trajectory as a manager, now to, into the Premier League. But this might be his dream job, though. This might be his peak. Like, as I mean, a, he's from, he is from Sheffield, so right, it's, right. you know. So this, 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 this is actually, you know, some people, it's, I manage Espanol, I manage whatever, like, this is his Espanol, this is his Barca, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I think it's kind of, kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. The future is bright for the Blades. Indeed. And one from Ollie Newton, at Ollie Newton, totally off-piste says, blame the half-tub of Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> We've all been there. I like this question, right? If Prince were a footballer, what would his playing style slash position be and, what, and which team would he best be suited? That is an unbelievable question. That's an incredible question. My I've brain. Got, I've, got, I've got an answer if you want to go. I know you've got one. I think Prince would be a Javi-esque central midfielder pulling the strings. He was a small guy, Prince. Yeah, that's true. Captain. Uh, do you know what? I think he'd be Pep's Barcelona. <laughs> I think he'd basically just replace Javi in that Barcelona midfield. Yeah, that's brilliant because Prince, and that's, I think that's, that's the best possible answer because he's someone that can, yeah, small guy who can do everything. And Xavi could actually score if he had to. Xavi would score the most important goals if he had to. But can you imagine the post-game interviews? If Prince was playing centre midfield for that Barca team, he'd just walk out and be like, game blouses. <laughs> like, post- oh my goodness. <laughs> post Classico. <laughs> like- you know, one thing, that, one thing, one thing that, that's such a brilliant point. One thing that football lags far behind uh, the NBA in is like, you know, players pre-match outfits like it's such a thing like walking through the tunnel well it's because they have all the, the club suits and the track suits and stuff like that's all but still like, rules, if, if, you look, if you look how players dress in their spare time they still don't have the swag of NBA players like footballers it's yeah, still quite generic no, they, you know I mean? yeah. you can tell it's not a lot of flavour if someone walks through if you're in a certain part of West London and people walk through you can tell who the footballers are generally that's when, why Hector gets so much love Hector Bellerin because he doesn't he dress like a footballer if Hector Bellerin was in the, in the NBA he'd be like Oh, just, there's a well-dressed guy. He dresses like he dresses like someone who has an NTS residency. Yeah, <laughs> like and their own sense of fashion. Yeah, um, like as in, yeah. and that's 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 a good thing because it's yeah. you know he you can just imagine rocking up Kingsland Road, exactly, going on to Gillette Square, and there there's Hector just just He's coming so out cool. carrying his records. I'm I love suspicious. Hector Banner so much. I'm suspicious though of someone who's that cool as well as being that good at football. I'm just like, how can you? You should be so exhausted being good at football 
it's like when I saw Sergio Ramos dancing really well, I was like, how can you do that as well? Or like Chris Bosch doing code. Like, how I thought you were going to say something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, yeah, so Princess Chavi, I mean, I've got no better answer than that, so we'll leave it there. Princess Chavi. <laughs> one nil Rye. Well, it's always one nil Rye. You're the, you're the best, Ryan. Oh, behave. <laughs> Don't hide behind your roll, Nick. Chip away. Oh, actually, on the cardigan thing, yeah. some good uh, Ancelotti solidarity this weekend. Oh, Cardi, Cardi A. Wearing his... Uh, Cardo Angelotti. Card- yeah. <laughs> Cardo yeah. Uh Also, big cardigan wearer whilst being a manager, Arsene Wenger. He always had cardigan energy, though. Big cardigan energy. Yeah, big cardigan energy, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the podcast name. That should be it. <laughs> uh, okay, this one from Wojciech Augustiniak. Speaking of cardigans, could you make the coolest manager in the Premier League table? I wonder who would be in first place. Pep, Klopp, or maybe a worm eater, Sean Dyche. <laughs> or maybe book writer Steve Bruce. But then again, what is cool? Cool is being yourself, though, isn't it? Authenticity. It's like the catfish is in the eye of the beholder. Right. So actually, there's a strong argument that cool is someone like a Sean Dyche because there's the unpretentiousness. Not, no, he's not, he's not, mm. don't, not, not cool. He hasn't got the swag. For me, for me, the definition of cool is a mixture of authenticity and swagger. So Dyche has authenticity, 10, swagger. I mean, no, it's See, not. I think Carlo Ancelotti comes top. Because he's, he's way more laid back in terms of his persona than Pep, which gives him cool points. Right. Cardigans. He smokes. He's Italian. He probably drinks really good wine. Yes. I think Carlo's top at the moment. And that's, yeah, and it's he's not got the age advantage as well of being, you know. And the stories he can, The stories. I mean, multiple Champions League winner. And he was essential in that team as well. Like, he yeah. was like a role. He was a key. Very handsome man as a, as a young man as well. And he's aged very... Uh, very uh, gracefully. Just has all the chat. Yeah. I think Carlo's top for me. And by a distance, actually. I think he's like, he is top by a distance. If Klopp wore suits, he would be top. But do you remember Klopp like in the Champions he- League, right? In, in the Champions League where he used to wear the kind of the suit, but he would have the tie undone and like the collar undone. And it was this kind of like, I kind of give a shit, but I don't really give a shit. That was peak touchline cool Klopp. The thing is, he looks like, you know, when someone's dad yeah. basically is a real fan of a club yeah. and for Christmas they get all of this merchandise yes. and they just wear it all the time that's like, kind of what Klopp looks like on the touchline it's like actually there's actually quite a Tony Pulis energy there oh the German Pulis really like in terms of like his the way he projects I mean, the, the funny thing about Klopp is Klopp could easily be if Klopp wore a sort of a, you know crisp white office shirt with no tie he could easily be like a talk show host he, could, he, would, he would look like a talk show host or he'd look like a kind of concert pianist. Like he's that kind of person who looks, he has quite a sort of striking visage. You know, it's a handsome visage. You know, he's like got the glasses the, as well, which cool points, obviously. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, cool points, Ancelotti, in terms of an evening out, again, possibly Ancelotti or Klopp in terms of just being on a, you know. I mean, Klopp's politics are obviously massive cool points as well. But just the chat you have at the bar, I mean, like just being... The laugh. The, the, story, laugh. the he, storytelling. He's the only person that could rival you for a laugh in the Premier League. Oh, he's above and beyond. I mean, it's a great compliment to me, but... Oh my is, God, getting you two in a room. I mean... Can you imagine if you two were chuckle, dining chuckle, at a restaurant? Chuckle brothers. Everyone would leave. Everyone would be like, what the hell is going <laughs> on? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Half would be recording it. So it's Klopp number two. Um, a different kind of cool, but a cool. Yeah. He is, and no one really stands up. And you know, the sad thing about this is, of course, Mourinho obviously listens to this podcast. Well, no, he doesn't. Mourinho would be thinking, that was me 12 years ago. Like, I was the cool guy. Before- no, see, I, I, I fundamentally disagree here. I think that there was a period- Too many bad vibes to be cool. You can't be that cool without many bad vibes. I agree, but the bad vibes didn't come. He kept them hidden a little bit early on. 
there was a charm period for sure. I actually think Daniel Farker's pretty cool. He says lads a little bit too much for, for someone who isn't a native speaker. It's but. maybe a credit to the, it's a credit to the Premier League that cool as we're defining it, there's still so much approachability. Does that make sense? Well, like I mean, ma- there's various, various ways of cool. But, but this is, um, you know, you talk about, um, was it Frank Lampard talking about how to give feedback to players and the generation he grew up in and how there was a transition between the kind of like stern, hard, like, and the kind of more, not, I don't, I don't want to say that, we're in a different era now in terms of communication with players and it, the cool managers in this um, league table are also the ones that really don't mind putting an arm around a player. Mm. Like Ancelotti gets so much praise at being a, a player's manager and, you know, Calvert-Lewin's not just goal scoring, but his, his movement against Brighton, for example, like the way he's moving with freedom, expressing himself. So it says a lot. It's like these cool managers are also liberating their players, which is quite nice. All right, so I'm going to give a quick top five. So I'm going to go Ancelotti top, Klopp second. I'm going to go Farker third. Maybe Pep fourth? Oh my God, Arteta's not in there. No, he's not. No, I, I don't think he's actually that cool. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. You can't be cool with hair like that. You can. No, you can't. Oh, that's, that's, mm, contra- well, I haven't got hair, so I can't really talk about what it. No, it's not. It's too, it's, no. It's too correct. Too I think Pep, Pep should be top five. What are we doing, Pep? Of course, Pep's the. Pep's fourth. Pep's ridiculous. I, a friend of mine met Pep at a conference in. What do you think he's, what do you think he's more cooler than Farker? Want to go Pep three, Farker four? There was a point Farker when. Farker four is hard to say. Pep would have been, Farker four. <laughs> Pep would have been light years ahead a few years ago, but there has been... Peak Pep was um, next to last season at Barca. 2011. Yeah. The, the year he should have gone, the Cruyff said he the, should have gone. The shirt tie, the, the jumper and the long j- jacket. That was, and the big bit and when he had like stubble, stubble. My friend said that she saw Pep at a conference in New York and she said his, <laughs> sure, I'm saying this because I'm not naming her, his like sexual charisma. She was there like as an executive said, it was, it just, just blew radiating her away. She hormones. said it, it blew it. You have no idea. Like it was just unreal. Like you see Sexy people pet. and you don't know because you see them on TV, but when you're up close mm. and someone else that met him, actually a friend of mine did translation. Um, she's a Catalan. She speaks five different languages. So she was translating for Pep when he was at Bayern. And she just said he was unbelievable. Like he knew everyone's name. He knew the translator's names yeah. and he greeted them and he saw them again. And he was like, Oh, how's it doing? Like he knew that, like that's a, that's a big deal. That's our top four. We haven't got a fifth. Yeah, but I, maybe, if, maybe, if Ralph Hasenhuttle didn't wear tra- skin tight, can we be brutal? Training tra- trousers all can, the time. Let's be brutal. That's the Champions League, and everyone else is just not in the top four. Yeah, so we're not. We're not interested. That's the top. Brendan Rodgers, bottom. He's not cool. He's the least cool manager in the Premier League. Picture of himself on his wall. Yeah, <laughs> what was that thing? If he was, I think, ch- I think the bottom. <laughs> if he was in reverse order, the bottom I think is Rogers, Moyes nineteenth. <laughs> What's I think? If then was, I actually think Dyche is eighteenth. <laughs> the amazing quote: If he was chocolate, he'd eat himself. <laughs> <laughs> I think Eddie Howe. As much as I love Eddie Howe, I don't think he's that cool. I think he's the kind of guy who's just like, yeah, I don't really like music. I, like, I, Do I, I, I don't like films. Yeah, like, what kind of music? Is like, oh, a bit of everything, really. Yeah, just, exactly. You know, like compilations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, that was a good question. I like that one. Let's move on because we spent ages on that. Yeah, sorry. One from Nick, Valverde tackle discuss. I mean, we've kind of discussed it. Yeah. It's perfect. Pure pragmatism. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say on the Aleti thing? Yeah. How hilarious is this on the Super Cup? And there's other issues with it ethically we won't go into. But is there anything more Atleti than losing to Real Madrid <laughs> in another country? Time? I mean, and, and Ramos scoring a decisive goal. Is there anything more well, that. I mean, you want to get into it because we had a question from our good friend Justin Salhani saying any Spanish Super Cup takes specifically on four clubs taking part and it taking place in Saudi Arabia. 
I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep this brief because I don't think it's particularly hot taking. I think anyone who remotely cares about football will have the same thing. But I personally am massively against things like this being taken out of Spain. For example, I was really anti the proposal for playing league games away from Spain. I think it doesn't serve, well, you saw it with the ticket sales. It's a money thing. That's exactly what it is. And this is happening too much. And I mean, basically, it's a no brainer for me. You know, it says watching them celebrate, watching Real celebrate and going, are you really enjoying it this much? Like, but I just don't see the point I, I just, apart from the financial aspect. Of well, it. the funny thing is, I looked at the prize money, and I think the winners of the actual final, the specific final of the Champions League, is like about four million to win that specific game, and that's about was slightly less to win that Super Cup, Spanish Super Cup. So the amount of money on offer for an individual match was huge. But there was a weird moment when I was like, "Why are Atleti playing it?" Before I realised the Super Cup final was on, I was like, "Why are Atleti playing still? Why are they playing Madrid? What, what's going on?" And yeah. it felt it felt wrong. It was like. This shouldn't be happening. I think Barca were happy to get the hell out of there, to be honest. But I just I mean, it was, think, it's so I think weird. everyone was. It's just, it's, so weird. it's just, yeah. I'm, I'm, Super Copper, two teams, beginning of the season, get it done. And it was the same, like Serie A taking theirs away as well. It's Unfortunately, just, it felt like the future. It felt like. Yeah, but uh, this is going to, I mean, we've kind of spoke about this when we were doing the Urzel thing about clubs coming, well, football coming to a point where they're going to have to make some real decisions because they've been taking the money for too long without putting, without asking any questions. And they're going to have to really fix up. And this is just another example of it. Can I be honest how it felt? It felt like when you hear, you know, in those times when you hear that like pop stars have been paid like a million dollars to play like a private party for some, some like ruler. It's the kind of kick doesn't get publicized because they're kind of ashamed of it. Take the million dollars and run. It looked like that, mm. you know, pay to play where someone just goes, oh my gosh, what are you doing in the off season? And it's all organized hastily. Let's make it into a tournament. So it looks dignified, but it, it's not dignified at all. Speaking of Barcelona, I had one from JD at Johnny Dobbo on Twitter. Oh, he's great. Yeah, right, Johnny. Barcelona, approaching Javi, leaving Valverde a total lame duck. Where do they go from here? Discuss. Less of a question, more of an essay topic, but you know. It's equivalent of being in a five-year relationship, lurching across the bar, chatting to someone and then going, oh, no, I'm good for now, thanks. And then you sort of walking back and your partner's like, what was that about? It's like that. It just, the treatment of Valverde, and he's made mistakes, of course. And there are a lot of issues and I think he should have gone by now. But it's just so, it's so disrespectful to someone who has won. First of all, it's just really disrespectful. This is someone that you chased so much that at one point, Guardiola was like, this should be my successor. And someone who was, you know, who respected the club, who was respected by the club until recently, to approach Xavi, a manager who has no track record of note, none at all, right? And do it in broad daylight to the point where everyone knows about it, undermining all authority. And to disrespect Leo Messi by saying, oh, we're going to bring somebody in with no track record to look over your last few years, to manage your, you know, athletic decline. Leo Messi has gone from being the best coached great footballer we've ever seen to the worst. By the time Leo Messi finishes a career, he could end up being the worst coached great player we've ever seen, which is awful. Just what, what is Barcelona? More than a club, like the morality of that. And I know that you can see it. You can see that it's obviously something which is affecting the fan base, not only because of Xavi's, um, ethical positions, but also his experience. It looks like an entirely avoidable mess, like it's a mess, and they've just wandered into it. Well, Javi's turned down the role. He's turned it down, but the point is that they flirted so openly with him. I mean, in terms of undermining the manager, I'm not necessarily sure that will be the case only because, I don't know, I think that players are quite sanguine about stuff. 
at the end of the day, Valverde has won stuff with them. They are, you know, doing well in the league. The problem is the Champions League is now a psychological thing. And I don't know if they get over that hump with him there. And also the injury to Luis Suarez now. Is, yeah, four months out. That's grim because actually, as, as Barcelona observers were saying online, like, oh my goodness, that explains a lot. How long was he injured then? If it's that bad an injury, that explains the, you know, because I was obviously critical of, of um, Suarez quite a bit this season. I said that he was scoring goals, but maybe that was masking wider issues. But if it is injury, then take it out after that. I think it's weird to see a manager in that kind of position in the league and the Champions League and the Cups be under that much pressure. Right. I mean, purely from optics. But yeah, there have been some integration issues with certain players, some stylistic issues because it's Barca. And I mean, we've said before, they're, they're in a weird transition anyway. I think a lot of La Liga is in a weird transition, which is kind of fun if you're not a fan of one of those teams. Uh, Real Madrid are in transition, Atleti are in transition, Barca are in transition, and then you've got people like Sevilla, Real Sociedad, who have massively upped their game and are putting real pressure on that top, well, not necessarily the top two, but they're, they're creating a, a new dynamic there. Even, you know, Villarreal are super fun, um, not as close to the bottom as they were last season. So it's interesting, and I think that maybe the the kind of added impact of certain coaches outside of those top two has potentially gone into why Valverde gets so much criticism. Right. Because he has all of these tools and he doesn't feel like he's unlocking them as much as a, a coach could do. And it's all hypothetical, but the fact that it's a possibility is it's inevitable that a coach like that is going to get pressure. The injury to um, Suarez, though, does leave an opportunity for Griezmann. And this is something... It hasn't really been explored that much, perhaps because Griezmann hasn't been at his best, but people are forgetting that he's an astonishing footballer yeah, he's who occupied a lot of the space that Suarez did. And I saw some talk about how the combination that Messi and Suarez has is unprecedented. It's, it gives them, yes, it does. But at the same time, Griezmann's no mark. He didn't do the Champions League final. He has the chops to take them further again. I just think this is a moment for him. And he has the goals in him. You know, I think he's one of my favourite players. I think he's, you know, despite his weird dancing and his strange, <laughs> strange PR moves. Um, or his um, questionable fancy dress outfits. And the hair is also a bit unusual, but... Leave his hair alone. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I had to. It'll be on last time. But I just think that it's not so bad, Barca. Messi, Griezmann. Oh, really? Yeah. Messi, I mean, Griezmann. Not so bad, right? I, I mean, I, I, would, I would take any of those. And also playing the last few months of the season with a bit of a vengeance, a bit of a sort of siege mm. mentality. And also Messi doesn't say much, but he won't be impressed and he won't say anything in public about it. But I'll be very surprised if Messi's people or Messi himself don't go like, sort this out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'd be very Fix surprised up. if he didn't lean on them a little bit. Yes, I agree. I was going to say something then, but it's completely, it's gone. Okay, two quick questions before we wrap. One from Jake. Thoughts on Duda's loan to Norwich seems bizarre given Herter's season so far. This just screams that Hertha have got a midfielder arriving at some point. Who might that be? I actually reposted a tweet from uh, Manuel Fett uh, on Sunday evening. He, he posted a thing saying that Hertha want to sign Lyon's Lucas Tuzar and have offered 25 million euros. I, I wrote another one for the Hertha Times, insert player name here, Times. <laughs> 25 million euro fee yeah formula. 25 million yeah, it's like yeah they're linked with everyone for 20 to 25 million euros I mean Hertha may be more an attractive proposition now that Klinsmann's got them playing some pretty interesting stuff and I mean they're defensively very good I mean it'll be yeah. really interesting to see how they do against Bayern okay let's wrap on a nice question from Faith at the first pancake I'm reading a book about happiness right now so oh. the topic is on my mind 
Who do you think is the happiest player in life in general, not just professionally, in professional football and why? Raphael Varane. Oh. He has won everything. He's super cool. He's super fast. Unbelievable player. Gets to hang out with great people, both international team and in, he's living in Madrid. Varane's done it. I think it's Varane. He's just done everything. I have two. My first one is Lucy Bronze. Yeah, it's a good shout. Leon, we've spoke about before, is a place to a live. A lovely, lovely, lovely place to be. Right. And she was the decisive force in the last year's Champions League and big in the World Cup. Best right back in the game. Yep, yep. That's for sure. I mean, professionally gets the odd run out in centre midfield for England as well. But, if it, if she'd know. won the World Cup, I'd say she was happier than Varane. But because she hasn't, I still think it's him. Okay. Does that make sense? That's uh, well, I mean, if you're going to take Varane though, would you not go for like Mbappe? No, because the Champions Leagues. Yeah, maybe. I remember looking through this because I'm actually quite obsessed with this but question. But remember it says not just professionally, in life in general. But I mean, I mean I'm obsessed with this question because I remember looking at Varane and I was going, oh my goodness, he played every minute of those wins. Yeah. Um, I, think it's, I think he's won four, actually. He played every single minute of the finals. Um, obviously um, won the World Cup. And you never really hear anything about him off the field. It's kind of Abadal vibes, like just like happy doing his thing, super chill. This is the guy when, when Zidane calls him up and asks to sign him, he's like, oh, sorry, like, can I revise for my email, my, um, my exams and call you tomorrow? This guy left Zidane on red. So yeah. My other shout was Carlos Vela. Yes. He's I mean, if you think it, yes. of since 2012, he's been in San Sebastian playing for Real Sociedad and then to LA playing for Los Angeles FC. And he scored 88 goals in 60 league games for them. Uh, MLS MVP, MLS Golden Boot, pipped Zlatan to it, who apparently came and conquered. Oh my goodness. He's still only 30 years old. Yeah. Playing for LAFC, who are, are, seem like a really, really fun organisation to be around for football, in the US at least. And he's just having a lovely time. And he actually did really well at Real Sociedad before. He scored like 89 in 184 league games. It's always fun to see a footballer who is just choosing the career they want to. Because there's all, oh, I should play for Mexico, should do this. It's, oh, I just want to go and live my life, live my best life. Good looking lad as well. Exactly. So Carlos Vela, Rafael Varane, Lucy Bronze. Yeah. They're the official Stadio, three happiest players in the we world. We could do a Stadio for that. That would be, do you know what? Do you know what? We could say most wholesome, a Stadio most wholesome award, yeah. We are done for this week. We're back next week. There's nothing major going on this week, is there? I don't, I don't think so. so. Don't forget, if you do listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rate and a review. We've had some really good reviews already this year. Thank you so really much. Really nice. Thanks, everyone. And can who- I say, also, the questions are amazing. I just say, yeah. really appreciate how much they make. They're like, really like... Everyone is... We need to up our game because everyone else is <laughs> massively up in their game. Yeah, <laughs> we are. We're getting lazy. No, what should we ask Stadio this week? Like, make it hard for them. You can follow us on Twitter at Stadio. You can follow us on Instagram at Stadio Football. Don't forget to check the website, Stadio.Football. And we're playing out this week on Susan Christie, Paint a Lady. Anything else to add, Musa Gwonga? Oh, there's that outros a playlist on Spotify now, which yeah, is we, all the tunes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we post a link to the playlist on our Twitter, so go check that. And you can follow the playlist and it'll update every week with the newest tune at the top. So you don't have to scroll all the way down. Fantastic. See you next week. See ya. Night has fallen quickly on the carnival in town. The cotton candy maker is the last to leave the ground. Shuts his tiny wagon and goes to a room somewhere His life's like cotton candy, an illusion not much there
frolic across the town With pointed sticky picks up paper scattered on the ground Slowly does he walk and bend his feet, they are so sore There's no one to complain to, though he's tried at times before Tick-tock, time comes and then it's gone Tick-tock, in the end it's faced alone Tick-tock, in the end it's faced alone 